So through gaming, I've learned that you probably shouldn't threaten a scared wizard with having a gnoll eat his friend. Through gaming, I've learned that being beaten up by the big dumb guy can actually be fun. And through gaming, I've learned that sometimes there really are crimes against spandex. My name's Wayne Cole, and I am the Gamerati. Gamerati.com. It's good to be a gamer. VorpalNetwork.com. I'm Chris Perkins. I'm a leap year baby. Chris is 10 today. That's right. And your friendly Canadian, I'm here and with the tome. This episode of the Tome Show is brought to you by Gamerati.com. It's good to be a gamer. And listeners like you, thanks for using the Tome's Amazon store. Welcome to the Tome, a D&D news, reviews, and interviews show, and I'm your Tome host, Jeff Greiner. And I'm Tracy Hurley. In this episode, we'll assault a lair, run a season of encounters, and learn all about playing in public with our special guest, Chris Tulak. That's right. We had Chris on for a nice long interview discussing uh, all the different types of organized play and what have you for this advice episode. Uh, we learned a little bit about him, the the history and the development of, of organized play and how it works today uh, with Wizards of the Coast. And then we talked a little, just at the end a little bit of advice on, you know... Um, what to consider when you're thinking about being a player for organized play and what to consider if you're thinking about jumping over and becoming a DM for organized play. And I thought the interview went pretty well. Yeah. And I, I especially liked how much Tracy talked in it. I talked more this time. You did. You did a good job. <laughs> of course, it helps that Chris is your good buddy, right? Yes. So very good. Uh, that does mean that we did – we sort of brought in a, a fourth section of our advice. Usually we do – we try to do a little something for DMs, a little something for players and get to know the guests are the, are the three main segments usually. Um, this time we, we did a little bit for DMs, a little bit for players, um, a little bit of get to know the guest and a lot of what is organized play and how does it work. So just people should understand that's a, a, a change in what you're going to hear for in, in this advice episode. Yeah, and I think it was good because a lot of people – that I've talked to have been very uh, confused about what organized play is and how the different programs work together and how they don't. So I'm glad we went over it. And and while we were doing it, I, uh, and, and you were interviewing him because, you know, there was a big stretch there where you were doing all the talking, which was great. Uh, I managed to use that time to doodle a stick figure sketch of Chris Tulock screaming at the top of his lungs, organize. <laughs> it's pretty awesome. It's called, he's probably mustering people. Exactly, exactly. He's got his finger up in the air and he's holding a shield. Nice. So, so anyway, should we jump into the whatever news we have to talk about? Yeah, sure. And we're mostly just uh, – we don't have any real new uh, D&D news uh, according to, to Tracy's notes here. I'm, I have officially – just so the listeners understand, I have officially put Tracy in charge of gathering up D&D news topics to discuss. Yeah. So, and- it, so if there's no topics and we're not covering things, it's entirely her fault. Well, so I'd just like to point everyone over to <laughs> joining the party. <laughs> it's my column on Wizards of the Coast website. It has all the news that you could possibly want. No, uh, I mean, most of the news has just been further discussions of the close of, of what D&D Next might be. But the playtest itself is still closed. So it's still just discussions, right? Like, right. It's not really necessarily news yet. There's not, there's not really any previews or anything. as just them asking questions and having people fill out polls and that kind of stuff, right? Right, and then, and there's always the stuff on on their DDI accounts on the through Dungeon and Dragon, but if you don't have an account, <laughs> you won't see it anyway. So we're we're kind of trying to figure out if you have any uh, suggestions on what you'd like to see in this segment. 
of course, always uh, tell us. So is there anything that, that was brought up in, in you know, the, the polls that they were asking and that kind of stuff? Is there anything that sort of uh, discussions that burned down the internet as a result of that? Uh, there's always the discussions about the different uh, magic types. Like, do we want Vancean? Mm-hmm. Do we want powers? And that sort of thing. Uh, lots of discussion about hit points still. Um, the role of a cleric, whether or not there should be both a cleric and a priest. Because uh, in the history of D&D, there's been kind of these two types of clerics. There's the chainmail wearing, smite you cleric. And mm-hmm. then there's the cloth robe wearing... Hang out in the back and heal people cleric. Right. Uh-huh. And and so there's some like questions as to whether or not the the latter should be called a priest instead to make it easier uh-huh. uh, for people to know. So that was one of the polls recently. Interesting. That okay. I think that, <laughs> that that's an interesting discussion because in in an edition that's supposed to encompass all that previous editions were, creating a new class that encompasses a way to play an old class doesn't feel like embracing old editions. You know what I mean? Well, so I, I guess there's always going to be problems with in, – in this approach of embracing all the additions, what do you do when, when there are two things that are kind of opposite of each other? Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean we have that a lot even just in what a level one character should be, right? Because mm-hmm. in earlier editions, you're pretty much just every man. Like you might have been a farmer who suddenly got attacked by orcs and wow, look, you're a hero kind of uh-huh. if you survive long enough. <laughs> Yeah, I hear you. So, yeah, it's definitely those sorts of things are going to be really interesting to figure out uh, what what gets to be the core and what doesn't. What what ends up being uh, something that's an add-on module or just like in this case potentially a different class. Yeah, right on. So we'll I, we'll wait and see. But I like the, having these conversations, sort of about the conversations they're having. So that's that's interesting, okay. and I think uh, people should I think are interested in sort of hearing how this this whole process is progressing and. When the open playtest starts, uh, we'll let you know about that too. Totally. So. Cool. I know, and I know we mentioned it last episode, but if if this gets out in time and you go to PAX East, uh, they'll have a playtest that you have to sign an NDA for, I believe. But when, when is PAX East? PAX East is Easter weekend. It's I think the sixth or the ninth. A couple, two or three weeks. Yeah. Because uh, that's usually right over my spring break. I c- I could almost go, man. Yeah, it's uh, the 6th through the 8th. Right on. And that's up in your neck of the woods, right? It's in Boston. I will be there. And I actually am also on a seminar, but it's not D&D. It's just the campaign doctors. But I have my own seminar. That's it. Speaking of things that you're doing that are awesome, um, (laughs) is it time to announce your new little project? At least on Uh, on the show here? We we can talk about it. Yeah, we haven't started the Kickstarter yet, but uh, I mean, we've. I've talked about it on my website uh-huh. and elsewhere. Uh, we're working on a project called Prismatic Art Collection. And Daniel Solis, who's written a few books like Happy Birthday Robot and uh, The Temple of the Flying Pilgrims, uh, we are ra- going to raise money to commission art from artists that, that's just more inclusive for fantasy role-playing games in hopes that it gets used on blogs and by small publishers who are looking for... They often have to use stock art for their, their stuff, so hopefully they'll use this. And we'll commission art from the artists, we'll get the art back, and we'll 
release it to the Creative Commons. All right. So the idea is that you're hoping to raise money through a Kickstarter, use that money to to pay artists, so the artists get paid, to produce a bunch of what you're calling inclusive art, which largely means people of minority uh, – characters of minority that are minorities, female or with disabilities. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, to try to cr- to inject some more diversity into what we see in fantasy art. Right. And, we are tr- and we've made a definite effort to also make sure that the artists – that, that we will be commissioning from are are also like include that diversity in it okay. too. So we're not being exclusive of any every anyone, but we are trying to include as many different backgrounds as we can. Sure. Uh, and and so then and then the idea is that you're going to then give this art away. Is that right? Yep, we're going to give it away. So the artists are getting paid, and then anybody in the world could go and use that art in their products on their websites. You know, make a profit on it. That's okay. So, so Wizards of the Coast could could grab some art on here and, and use it if they wanted to. Yeah, they could with the with the Creative Commons, uh, and and part of that is that when I talk to a lot of the small publishers, a lot of them are just using stock art. They don't have the money to commission art for their own products all the time. Mm-hmm. So you know, but sometimes the stock art that gets created, um, it's created because the the person wanted to draw that, not necessarily to try to fill a need of. Mm-hmm diverse artwork and then the other nice thing about it is this will basically create a directory of artists that people know are willing to create diverse uh diverse artwork uh and and more embracing artwork and so that they can go and find them so what this is is this is uh you know years of tracy complaining about a lack of diversity in art and finally deciding to be the change right uh trying yeah so it's a lot of a lot of learning i started a company for this and everything so it'll be awesome it will be awesome, and I look forward to seeing it. Great. Is there a place they can go to, to find information, or just go to saradarkmagic.com and, and check out the articles you posted there? Yeah, definitely on saradarkmagic.com, and if they're on Google+, Plus, if they look for Prismatic Art, uh, they will find it there. There's also a Prismatic Art account on Twitter and Facebook. Right on. Cool. So we should talk about some Tome news. Definitely. Uh, we've got a few different things going on. Uh, first of all, I have managed to finally pull off something I've been trying to do for years now, which is split the feed, so to speak. And this gets, you know, I guess a little bit technical, um, depending on how how people subscribe to the show or listen to the show. But I've wanted to, you know, we've started doing different types of shows, uh, several years back, right? There's advice episodes, there's review episodes. Now this is in the last few months, right? We've started adding whole new shows, Mm-hmm. to the feed. So we've got the Dice Monkey Radio. We've got what is now called the Behind the DM Screen um, DM podcast. We've got Gamer to Gamer. Uh, and, I'd, and I'd like to see, uh, if people are interested, I, I'm open to adding more and more shows and almost make a sort of a Tome Show Productions network of shows. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I finally figured out how to take the feed then and split those off. So if somebody wants to just subscribe to Gamer to Gamer, um, then they can do that. You know, if somebody wants to, to you know, they're going to subscribe to the review shows, the the advice episodes, um, but they don't want to, they don't care about the book club. Then they can just sort of subscribe to the feeds that they want. Each one of them has their own iTunes entry. So if you type in Tome, Tome Show Productions into iTunes, there is now ten different shows that will show up. Mm-hmm. Um, and I even made little icons for all of them. I saw. It, I saw it today. Uh-huh. Uh huh. And so you know, I. I I wanted, I, I, you know, many people just sort of subscribe to the main feed and just only download the episodes that look interesting to them. And that's fine. Mm-hmm. 
I'm just trying to help people have more options and more opportunities to sort of listen to the show and get the show in ways that are convenient for them. So it's all about the audience. It's all about you guys. Yep. And the other thing to announce is um, another sort of goal of mine for several years. Since I've been starting to go to Gen Con, it's sort of been one of my goals to – um, be involved in some of the seminars and workshops and things that you that I've that I've participated in or heard or that kind of stuff in the past, and so I started off for a few years just sort of um, sitting in on panels and that kind of stuff um, on different different events at the con, and so finally this year I decided to pull the trigger and say you know what we're going to do a seminar we're going to have a tome show live episode recording at Gen Con um, and then. I just went crazy and we ended up doing three of them. (laughs) (laughs) So if you are at Gen Con, we will have a live recording of a Tome Show Advice episode, which we do. We haven't figured out our guest yet on that one, um, but we're going to try to see if we can get somebody um, well-known and interesting to to come and help uh, be a special guest on that. And of course, uh, the audience will also be the guest on that. Right, because, because I think one of the things we might do, and we haven't talked about this, right? Maybe <laughs> we're talking we're talking about it live here on the air. Um, I thought one of the things we might do is open up the advice to the audience and let them sort of ask the questions and have that guide a lot of the discussion. So, okay, um, we'll see how it goes. Maybe we'll, maybe our our guest will be just a a star studded panel of regular contributors. We can do that too. I hear that Mike Shea guy likes to do that. Uh, Mike Shea. Um, is an attention-grabbing person, and we'll do whatever <laughs> we tell him to do as long as he gets to stand in front. Woo-hoo. Uh, speaking of Mike Shea, we also have a live broadcast of Behind the DM Screen where Mike and myself and Randall uh, will get together and sort of talk about our campaigns and, and help each other out. And um, we've, we've been having a really good time with that show. Uh, we've recorded three episodes now, and we've had lots and lots of really positive feedback. So people seem to really like the the format of that show and how that's going. So uh, we thought we'd do one of those live. Uh, those guys were interested in doing that. So I said, all right, well, let's, why not? I'm already doing two others. Let's do that too. Nice. Speaking of the other one we're doing, uh, one of the new shows on the network is gamer to gamer, uh, hosted by Tracy Barnett. That's the boy, Tracy, not Tracy. You, the, my co-host, right? Uh, and Tracy Barnett is a great guy and he wanted to sort of get involved in something and I had this idea but I knew I didn't really have the time to do it so I sort of went out to reach out to some people and he he seemed like a natural fit. So the idea is that in case you haven't listened to a few episodes, right, it's, it's sort of the, the tabletop gaming version of Inside the Actor Studio. You know, bring in somebody um, every month, interview them, find out how they game. What games are they playing? What is their table like? You know, all the, all kinds of stuff. I, I find gamers are incredibly interesting, and I sort of want to get a cross section, sort of a, a, almost a social experiment of how do other people's games work? Like, I feel like the way my game works isn't necessarily the way all the other games work, and I, I want to hear about all these people's types of games. And so it's going to run the gamut. Some of the people are going to be very well known game designers. Some of the people are going to just be random people that Tracy runs into at a convention. Uh, and we have a Gamer to Gamer episode scheduled for Gen Con as a live recording there as well. And we are tentatively able to announce our special guest interviewee for that episode as being the DM to the stars, Christopher Perkins from Wizards of the Coast. Yay! Which should be super awesome. Um, he's an incredibly interesting guy and generally um, not somebody that you, you know we, we get to talk to a lot. So No. Um, 
that'll be really cool. And he's a great DM, and I look forward to hearing what he has to say. Now, that is tentative. I, I do want to be very clear about that. We've sort of talked to him. He's he's okay to do it. He's interested in doing it. He wants to do it. But schedules, I mean, for Gen Con, that far away, um, you know, the exact times that these sessions are going to happen isn't set yet. The times that he might be busy running seminars or whatever for Wizards of the Coast it haven't been set yet. So things are still sort of in a state of flux. We might not be able to do Chris, but he's sort of agreed to do it if his schedule works with our schedule. So that's where we're at with that. Sweet. It should be awesome. I definitely. So that's that's what we got going on on the show. Um, I'm really excited about all these things. This is all stuff that I've worked on a long time and been trying to do for a long time. So um, I hope everything goes well. I hope so too. I'm sure it will. I mean, there's still the sort of the outside chance that I, I won't even make it to Gen Con, but you know, I'm, I'm going to assume that everything will work out. Everything will work out. Because <laughs> if, if it doesn't, Tracy's running all this stuff. <laughs> Tracy boy, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, no. It's all on you. That's what you signed up for when you became the the co-host. I know. Uh, so other than that, uh, what new episodes do we have coming up? We have the book club. We do. What are we reading right now? We are reading Brimstone Angels. How's that going? Uh, I just started it, so I'm, a, I'm ahead. Because <laughs> you usually start like, what, a week before? Yeah. Well, we're exactly a week before right now. Well, no. Usually I start the weekend. But anyways, um, <laughs> I should be done in, in plenty of time. I read the, the first part and I am hooked. So this is good. Uh, and we finally picked our next book, didn't, didn't we? We did. Do you want to announce it? No, go ahead. Okay. We're going to read Deathmark. Uh, it's a Dark Sun novel by Rob Schwab. Which I'm excited about for a few reasons. One, it's Rob's first novel. Yes. Two, it's our it's a, a Dark Sun book. You hear that, people? It's not a Forgotten Realms book. We do read things other than Forgotten Realms. We do. <laughs> when when Jeff doesn't get to pick, we totally do. That's um, not true. <laughs> and uh, and in, and then in, 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 in fairness, yeah, at least fifty percent or more of what was I'd say more of what Wizards of the Coast is publishing seems to be Forgotten Realms these days. Yeah, in terms of novels, so. And then the third, the third awesome thing about it is that it's Rob, and hopefully we'll be able to get him on the show. It is Rob, and he will come on the show, or I will beat him with a wet noodle. <laughs> I'll tell him that, and that'll. Oh, oh, I'm I'm sure he listens to the show rapidly every time we put out an episode, so he'll hear it. Yeah, definitely. No, Rob's a good guy, and we've had him on before. Um, and he's you know he's always been more than willing to to jump on board and, and talk to us about you know whatever we want to talk about. So I'm sure he'd be willing to come on. Yeah. And then we also have a Lords of Waterdeep review coming up. Um, yes. You know, as soon as all of us manage to get a copy of the the game and play it, so I I'm, can't wait. I'm really excited about it. I'm gonna, I'm I'm going to be sneaky. My wife is so not into all this gaming stuff. Yeah. But I'm going to see if I can't get her to try out Lords of Waterdeep uh, and see how that goes. See how it goes playing with somebody who's not really into geeky gaming. You know, she'll play she'll play Connect Four with my with my six year old, but that's about it. Yeah. So, you think it'll go well? You've 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 played it before, right? Um, with you running it, it'll probably go well. Okay. So you played it before. You think it's the kind of game that a, a non gamer might get in, be into, or is it going to be overly geeky for? Oh no no, it won't be overly geeky. Uh, it's it's a resource management game, which sometimes can uh, like I think it's pretty easy to pick up. I picked it up pretty easily, and I don't play games very much. Mm-hmm. But I think it definitely helped that the people running it for me knew how to play it. Okay. So. We'll see how it goes then. 
but uh, I, I'm definitely looking forward to it. What I really like about it is that you can play it without knowing everything and still have a great experience, and you can just layer on knowledge okay. as you play more and more. All right, all right. Well, let's not review it now. Come on. I'm not reviewing it, just saying. All right. So let's move on. Uh, let's throw it over to Tracy, who's going to introduce us to our guest, Chris Tulak. So uh, we're here with Chris Tulak, D&D hello. organized... What? Hello. Hello. So you're the, <laughs> you're the D&D organized play program manager at Wizards of the Coast, right? That's correct. What else should we know about you? Like basic um, stuff. Well, let's see. Uh, I've been with Wizards a little over five years now. Um, I got hired out in 2006. Uh, and um, I've had a long-standing background in, in uh, organized play and Dungeons and & Dragons. I started playing D&D when I was 10 in 1983. I got a red box for Christmas, and me and my brother and my two cousins started playing together, and I was the dungeon master for our first games. And um, in the, I started going to conventions in ni- 1987. Uh, wow. The convention was Gen Con, 87. I've been to every Gen Con since except for one year, because I was deployed to Europe, so I couldn't really make it. But apart from that, uh, in organized play, I've been involved uh, with organized play uh, through the RPGA and other various OP for D&D. Uh, since 1990, 1991, um, and I started dungeon mastering uh, organized play events for the RPG in uh, 1992 at Winter Fantasy. Um, I did that for a long time. I dungeon mastered a lot of the major shows um, and started writing organized play content in the late 90s, starting with the Living Death campaign. I wrote an adventure for them. And then uh, wound up becoming part of the staff of, for Living Greyhawk. Uh, was a regional triad for Living Greyhawk for a number of years, and then progressed up the up the ladder to become a circle member, which is kind of like the global admins for LFR now. Um, and then after that, I got my job at Wizards, and and you know, kind of uh, sat at the helm of that campaign, and then. Uh, ushered in Living Forgotten Realms and our other organized play programs under the last few years, uh, like D&D Counters and D&D Lair Assault and so forth. So that's basically my, my gaming slash organized play background. Sweet. So just uh, you gave us a little bit of your, your background and your, your pedigree, I guess. Um, how is it that you ended up with the you sort of glossed over the and then I got a job at Wizards. How, how did that end up happening? Did you get in through the organized play thing, or did you mm-hmm. start doing other things? Or to a degree, I mean, so as anybody will tell you that wants to get a job at Wizards of the Coast, right? Anyone that has has a job at Wizards of the Coast that that wanted to get a job here, um, the way that you do it is you work at it very hard, right? And you spend probably a good portion of your free time or what have you. Uh, you know, devoted to whatever it is that you think that you can contribute to Wizards. And, you know, hopefully your hard work and your and your effort pays off, and, and, and a lot of times it does, and people notice you. In my case, um, I was doing a lot of, um, you know, I was volunteering a lot of time, uh, dungeon mastering, you know, through the convention circuit, 
and um, and writing adventures and getting paid for some of those uh, for organized play, and being involved in in the in in, in like a, the volunteer administration portion portion of organized play throughout the 2000s, and so really, you know, getting. Um, Getting a, a, a chance to participate in that was, you know, you know, my, you know, part of the reason why I, I love it, my passion, and ultimately it was that I had hoped one day that I could be working on Dungeons and Dragons in some capacity, and it so happened that um, there was a position that opened up for me in 2000, it opened up in 2006, that um, was basically a content, a content developer for D and D for organized play, and. Um, I applied for the position, and there were a number of applicants. And then, what wound up happening is basically the selection process wound up being, you know, it was me and another guy. We we had an interview and everything, but a lot of it had to do with the fact that I already had all this background. I knew, you know, I I knew a lot of people that were involved, and they knew what I was capable of already. I was already kind of a known quantity. They knew what my my strengths were, what my limitations were at the time, my weaknesses, you know, what I what what I could improve on. And so that was really instrumental in me getting a job at Wizards. And I think for a lot of people that are looking to work at Wizards, um, that is really what's instrumental. It's just kind of getting, getting your foot in the door by, by just being a known quantity in the field of expertise that you think that you can bring to Wizards. Uh, and then your, your list of uh, things you did. You mentioned you were in the military? And if I, I recall, you you ran a lot of stuff while you were in the military, didn't you? Yeah. I so one of my big passions is I really love I really love to organize and run events. So it, it's it's one of the things that's always kind of just made me feel really good about gaming. Um, I really am, you know, I, I get maybe it's kind of a little selfish, but I really I really like the instant gratification that you get when, you know, you get to, like, put on an event. And it doesn't have to be gaming or it could be anything. Right? I could be hosting a party or whatever, right? And it's nice to see people enjoying your, you know, the results of your efforts, right? And so, yeah, I've always been interested in organized play. Um, when I was uh, in the military, I was, um, in, I was in the Army Guard for seven years. And I was deployed to um, uh, uh, Eastern Europe. Uh, Bosnia, uh, Croatia, and Hungary um, in '97. And while while there, I ran um, a lot of organized play um, for the soldiers, especially in Tsar Hungary. Uh, for about six months, I did that, and that was really rewarding to me. So, and it just happens to be you know a skill set I'm good at. So whether it's you know running a card game tournament or running a D and D event or what have you, I really enjoy. Uh, running gaming events. And I've heard uh, from people I know that it's pretty common for there to be D&D games and stuff in military bases, I thought, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, you know, if you're a soldier, right, you don't really have, when when you're, when you have downtime, right, you only have, you you have so many options and and it depends on where you're deployed to, right? I mean, certainly some locations, you know, are going to have a lot more uh, access to things like, you know, internet and media and such. And then some other places aren't, aren't just, aren't going to have those kinds of, that kind of access. And back in the 90s when I was in, um, you know, we had like things like internet and stuff, but, 
But for the most part, um, you know, you'd want to have something that was a little more portable to take with you. So, you know, a lot of soldiers would, you know, play cards or whatever. There were a lot of soldiers that played Magic and other trading card games. And then D&D has always been a big thing, too, because, you know, you can just bring along a couple of rule books and, you know, some dice and have the game anywhere. And that's just really compelling. It's, and the nice thing about D&D is that because the stories evolve so much, right, you know, and with any role-playing game, really, you're just kind of, you know, every week it's just something new. And, and it's not always the same old thing. Like, you know, when you play, you know, a game like Spades or something like that, you might, you might get tired of playing the same old people every week. Right. Unless there's alcohol involved and our money. <laughs> so it sounds like for an episode talking about uh, giving people advice on organized play, you, you seem to have some pedigree in that, and you seem to be a good guest to have on, huh? Well, I, I'd like to think so. I mean, I'd like <laughs> to think that I, I, mean, I, I, I spent a lot of time with it, and um, I really spent a lot, of, uh, a, a lot of my time here at work um, just deconstructing, like, what motivates people to go out in the public and play and how, you know, and how we can bring down some of those barriers and, and also, you know, what we can do to kind of, to kind of make people feel really good about, about that experience. So, so I'd like to think that, yeah, I mean, over the years, over the last 20 some years um, of just my organized play experience, you know, I've had a lot of opportunity to kind of see what works and try out things that didn't work and, you know, and learn from those things. So, you know, we're always learning. So, you know, we try something, it doesn't work, we'll try something again. And, but I, I, I'd like to hope that we don't make the same mistakes over over again. So. so we're going to jump into the organized play questions here in a second. But just so people yeah. know, um, after the, they've listened to this, if they want to go out and reach out to you, is there a specific place that they can sort of keep up with what you're doing? Is yeah, there, is well, there a, a corner of I the think- Internet that you call your own? Yeah. Well, I have um, I, ha- I have a Twitter feed which people are, feel free to follow. It's just Chris Tulak. So at Chris Tulak is my Twitter feed. That's totally cool. Um, I um, I also started a blog. I'm not very good at updating it yet, but um, I do have a blog at ChrisTulak.com. Um, I'm going to try to become more uh, a little bit better at updating it, but we'll see how 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 much. I'm not going to don't hold me in, hold me to anything. <laughs> That's going to be mostly my, my blog is mostly. Um, Mostly non-gaming stuff right now. I don't know how it'll bleed into gaming occasionally, um, but um, my uh, my Twitter feed will will have a little bit more gaming stuff and goofy sh- goofy stuff that's going on in my life. So um, other than that, um, that's those are pretty much the the the, the Chris Tulak personal channels. And then um, I occasionally will uh, do uh, articles for Dragon or. Um, or post stuff uh, through our website. Um, you can, if you're if you're an organizer or a retailer, um, I often write D and D related content for the Wizards Play Network portion of the D and D website as well. So that's pretty much it. <laughs> Your blog's a lot of music and uh, movies, I think. Was that right? Right now, yeah. I, I, I endeavor to actually have it become bigger, and it's only got a few posts really. So. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of movie stuff on there right now from the last year, but there'll be more stuff too. I'm going to add some music stuff, and then there's some stuff I want to talk about, like travel and gaming and things like that. Cool. All things that interest me. Right on. So into organized play. Yay. We'll start with a very simple question. What is organized play? 
Well, for our purposes, uh, organized play um, here is pretty much any kind of uh, public play is considered organized play, right? Um, uh, organized play, um, public play usually, in most cases, if it's, if it's open to the public, in other words, uh, you know, you're not just like gaming in a store, right? You're not just doing your home game in your store. What you, what's happening is you're letting people kind of join into your game. It's, it's organized play that effectively is um, public play in which, in which um, it is open to the public, right? So not just gaming in public, but actually open to the public. Um, and there's usually, with, with that, uh, kind of inherent in that is that there is structure involved in organized play of some degree. Um, but that's basically, you know, what it is. So when you're playing like a game of D&D, &D, like at like D&D counters or what have you, that, that's organized play because those are programs that are, are created specifically for a play experience. Um, usually has some sort of structure framework around it. Um, you know, Magic and DD both have their organized play programs. Uh, there are lots of other game companies that also run organized play. I mean, even things like um, uh, like some of the tournament stuff that Mayfair does with Settlers, those are organized play, right? Events, mm -hmm. um, you know, and other companies like uh, um, Catalyst does stuff like Shadowrun, for example, where they report results. That's all organized play. And organized play can take kind of like bleed into sort of home play too, depending on how you structure your organized play programs. But generally speaking, it's it's usually indicative of some sort of public play experience. And I know um, for a long time, Wizards of the Coast and I think TSR before that had an organized play program that was called RPGA. Mm -hmm. uh, right. Can you talk a little bit about what RPGA is? Yeah. So the RPGA started in the late 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 70s, very early 80s. Um, it stands for Role Play, Role Play Gaming Association, and um, or Role Play Gamers Association. And what the RPGA uh, represented at its core was effectively a uh, uh, a club, a big club that people could um, participate in different RPGs and find uh, uh, groups, you know, to to do those activities at, uh, with. Primarily at conventions, um, Wizards or TSR uh, used it um, as a vehicle for all RPG play, all RPG play going on, um, and they had they, they kind of used it as sort of a way to promote RPG play in the industry as a whole, rather than specifically their games. Although of course D&D was still the the flagship there, um, but they ran a lot of uh, other stuff too as well through the RPGA, and the RPGA was sort of a community built organization in a lot of ways um, that was sort of facilitated by TSR and run by TSR later on. And it's still pretty much the echoes of it still exist today in our organized play programs, especially our community-run stuff, um, like the Forgotten Realms and such. Um, basically, what happened is in the, um, I don't know, in the like mid-2000s, so around 2005, 2006 or so, when I, around when I got at Wizards, where I got to Wizards, um, we started kind of transitioning the name RPGA uh, away into uh, basically just kind of creating programs and letting the programs sort of speak for themselves instead of just like an, organ an overall organization. So, so basically, the RPGA still exists. It's just effectively like a community-run and organized play for D and D now. So, mm -hmm. okay, that's so, sort of what it was. So. so what what is the role of of RPGA now? 
Uh, how is RPGA for Wizards of the Coast different than organized play? What do they still do? Well, the, the, we don't like here at Wizards. We don't really um, we don't really use the term RPGA as much anymore. Um, it's really all what we what we what we look at it is organized play that's being run right has a, usually a program attached to it right. And so, like for example, a program might be Living Forgotten Realms, right? And so we we kind of tend to think of it in terms of a program now instead of a instead of a, a um, organization, right? So the program has its own organization now, and like Living Forgotten Realms has its own administrative structure, and has as a community that runs it, right, and administers it. Um, and then we might have another program like D and D Encounters, right? And D and D Encounters is a program that is run administered directly by wizards, right? So there, the, the difference really being that when you, when you say the words RPGA, what my brain says is community-driven organized play. When you say, you know, just organized play, that could mean anything, right? It could mean any type of public accessible, you know, play program. Right. So basically, RPGA is kind of a uh, group underneath yeah. it. Yeah, it's sort of like a yes, yeah, sort of like a subgroup of of organized play, right? It's this is a type of organized play. It's community driven organized play. Another type of organized play might be D and D encounters or D and D Lair assault or game days, right? Which right. are all which are more top down driven. They're driven mm-hmm. by us, yeah, as opposed to driven by a community like Ashes of Athens, another community driven right. organized play program. So when uh, I first started playing in public. Uh, mm-hmm. One of the things I had to fill out was the DCI number. Uh, yeah. Do you want to talk a little bit about about that and what and what you guys do with them? Yeah. Well, so we have um, we have a uh, a DCI number, which is a, a basically identifier for you, um, so that we so that uh, when you play in events that are that are basically sanctioned by a store or a convention. Uh, we can go ahead and we can uh, track that information so we, we can kind of keep a record of your play history. Uh, in the past, we used that play history for things like player rewards and, and other such things. We don't really do a lot of that with D&D right now. Um, what we primarily uh, you know do with the information is it's useful for a store to keep track of their attendance numbers. The stores uh, get benefits based on the number of people that participate and the, and the uh, recurrence of events uh, that they have at their stores. So it's very useful from a store's end. Um, and from the, from the player and, and Dungeon Master side, it's uh, just simply a way uh, for you to have you know, a record of your events as, as it would be. Um, you know, as we kind of move into sort of our, our, our next uh, phase of organized play, um, you know, we're you know we're always kind of looking for ways in which we can make that information mean something more to people too, as well. So, so you know, it's sort of a thing that we we attach to rewards uh, a, a while back, and 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 we kind of pulled back from that, and now we're kind of just sort of seeing what we might might do with the the number in the in the, in the future. But it is very important um, if you're playing in an organized play event um, to have a number. Had to communicate that when when the uh, organizer or DM hands a you know little, little tracker form around so that you fill in your number. You should have that, um, or at least get a card on site. Um, organizers will typically have those cards available to you. Um, if they don't have a card, um, you uh, you can uh, request one um, through our game support team. They will send a card to you. 
Um, and you can also get one um, through your organizer, too, by just asking them for one, and they can always request them later, too. Right, and it's the same card that's used for magic, right? Yep. Yeah, so yeah. once you have one, you can use it for anything that's Wizards of the Coast, right? So right. anything that's Wizards of the Coast run, you can use it for magic, you can use it for D&D, you know, and if you, know, if you have any other events that come up in the future, um, you know, you can use it for those, too. So, like, Friday Night Magic, yep. if, if that's nearby, that's one way to get it, too. Because that was yeah. the one recommended to me when I first started. Yeah, that's usually a really good place to go because a lot of uh, stores that run a lot of magic tournaments often have a pretty good supply of DCI cards on hand. Uh, for magic, they have, you know, right now we have a thing called Planeswalker Points for magic, and that, and that linked to your DCI number, so it gives the players sort of a record of all their accomplishments and kind of gives them points they, that they can earn sort of for bragging rights and for invitations to special events and things like that. And, you know, so they kind of have a little bit more of a motivation to keep up with it. But, um, but you know, for D&D, we're, you know, we're, we're also exploring, you know, opportunities that might, have, might evolve in the future into things that, you know, we could use uh, the number for to track your information. So, and give you something for it. Uh, so you mentioned a few of the programs already, but I know the two that uh, I've heard you talk about a lot are the Lair Assault and the D&D Encounters programs. Do you want to yeah. talk about them a little bit more? Sure. So uh, a couple of years ago, we launched uh, a new organized play program that we call D&D Encounters. And what D&D Encounters is, is it's a um, weekly uh, Wednesday program um, that kind of plays out as one encounter a week. So the idea behind the program was when I was looking at sort of the past programs we had done for D&D and we wanted to kind of have like a store program that really established sort of a community at a store and said, okay, we want to build a D&D community at each store. How do we do that? Well, we started off by saying, well, we need to create a program that's really accessible. So let's create a program that has a low barrier to entry. And, and one of the ways we thought that it might be nice is to go, okay, what's the shortest unit of time that people could realistically play a D&D game in. And it's sort of, it came down to sort of the encounter, right? Okay, well, the encounter is the shortest length of time that you could really sit down and actually have what would seem to be a fun D&D experience. So, and an encounter in, in fourth edition D&D usually takes about an hour to two or so. Um, so what we decided to do is break, break uh, a mini campaign down into a series of uh, single encounter sessions and then deliver that as sort of an ongoing uh, play program every week. Um, and we chose a day of the week uh, to have a program, which is on Wednesdays. And that was a very deliberate choice. Uh, we, we, chose, we chose it because we wanted to have um, a specific day of the week that, um, that everybody would know, anywhere you were, that you know that there's a D&D &D, uh, event going on at a store near you. And that way you could just feel free to walk into the store and if you wanted to, you know, bring a character and, and sit down and play. It also helped, too, because we were able to do things like we, we did Twitter buffs and things like that. We were able to kind of know that everybody is playing the same part of the story on the same night. And that's, that's got a lot of power to it because it kind of creates this really cool sort of community atmosphere where people can kind of express, oh, what did you do last night? Well, I did this. Oh, what did you do? And they can have this nice water cooler sort of discussion on message boards and things like that afterwards. Mm -hmm. So that's the evening encounters, and that's been uh, going on now. This is its, uh, what is it? Uh, we're in Elder, Ele Elder Elemental I season right now, which is 
I think the seventh season of D&D Encounter, seventh or eighth. So Makes it's been going on for a while. Yeah, and uh, they generally last, the seasons generally last for about, about three months or so. Um, the current season, I believe, is 11 weeks long. And the next season, which starts, kicks off our big uh, Rise of the Underdark drow-themed uh, campaign, um, it's, it's part of a three-part season, actually, which is really cool. It's the first time we've done that. It's called um, Web of the Spider Queen, and that starts in May. Okay. And that'll be the, the next season coming up. So it's going to be a three-part season? Yep. That, that one's going to be basically what it is. You can play in any part, right? But okay. all three of them are linked with a story. There's, a, there's an ongoing story arc. And the okay. story arc starts out in May with Web of the Spider Queen. And then as we go um, at, after Gen Con, we start the next part of the arc. And then, and then late in the year, we start the last part of the arc. So are, is each arc going – are you going to have to reset your character or – Details to come. Details to come. Okay, sorry. Yeah, we have something really fun in, in, in store for those seasons, and I think players are really going to dig it. Um, yeah? I will say that with Web of the Spider Queen, which is the first season coming up, it'll it, it'll start out feeling a, a lot a lot more like a like a um, like pretty straightforward and, and like what you've experienced before with it with this like character creation and things like that with the Indian encounters. Mm-hmm. So you'll be playing heroes, and you'll be you'll be trying to uh, you'll be trying to uncover what's going on in the Underdark and what what Wolf may be up to, right? And um, and then as you progress from season to season, we're gonna we're gonna uh, change up the play experience a lot. And I think people that have been playing D and D encounters for a while, they they've sort of noticed sort of a gradual shift in D and D encounters and in the way that we present the material and the way that, that you interact week on week in and week out uh, to a more really more story focused kind of uh, play. That's gonna continue. But what we're really going to do is we're going to really shake up like the kinds of characters you make and and what you might do during a season uh, with the future seasons too. So look for you know parts two and three to really contain uh, some very interesting uh, 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 viewpoints on, on on how you might play in a D and D encounter season. So, cool. so that's the D and D encounters thing. Um, that's what we're doing with that program. It's really fun. I mean, I've IDM'd a number of seasons and uh, and ran it at a local store here in Seattle for about a year. Um, it was before the store closed, actually. Um, and um, it was really fun. I had a great time building a DD community with it. I had uh, about 50 players at its height, and uh, it was really cool to, to do that. Was that, that, group... was that the group? Was that the group you have the video of? Uh, yeah, I think so. Wait, uh, that video, I think that video is from, the last video that we posted, I think, is from, um, we shot it at a store called Card Kingdom mm-hmm. in Seattle, and um, that one was a one-night uh, preview session we had for Dark Legacy of Evard, which was about this time last, uh, it's about May last year, I think we did it. Right. But I don't think we've done one since then. That was actually after my, my store had closed, my, my oh. store that I was running at, uh, uh, basically, uh, oh, we we started with the first season D and D Towers in two thousand uh, in two thousand ten, uh, which was um, uh, the uh, Undermountain season, and then um, we ended with the March of the Phantom Brigade, which is uh, the season before Dark Legacy Leaves last year. So, but yeah, that, that was fun. That was really cool, and then. Um, yeah, then we have another program we launched, and we launched that last year. And this is, we built sort of on the success of the Encounters. We 
kind of realized that after we've been running it for about a year or so that we're like, okay, we have this D&D community now in these stores, people are going on Wednesday nights, they're playing, but there's a lot of people now that are like, oh, hey, I really want to play something more than like sort of a very casual kind of almost almost an intro type of experience for D&D, right? Um, something that's just more beer pretzels and, and, and very fun. And I want to, you know, we, you know, a lot of players are like, I want to be playing in something that's a little more challenging for me. I got some mastery over the rules now. I know fourth edition pretty well. You know, what's, what else is there for me? So what we decided to do is create another program for people that really like sort of the tactical aspect of D&D and the puzzle-solving nature of D&D and kind of engaging that sort of part of your brain. Um, character optimization, too, as well. And that's D&D Assault. And D&D Assault is a, um, it's also a recurring program, but it doesn't work like D&D Encounters. It's not quite as structured as D&D Encounters is. Right. It takes place um, whenever the store wants, and it's sort of a uh, one mega ridiculous, well, one or two mega ridiculous encounters that are like designed to basically kill all the characters. Yes. So sort of a player versus players versus DM type of uh, type of uh, experience. Usually takes about two to four hours to play, and um, it's sort of just like the DM throwing down the gauntlet of challenge with the players, and the players, you know, trying to bring their best characters and try and try and thwart the adventure. So, yeah, my. Yeah. Did you play one? Uh, oh, yeah, you played a couple, didn't you? Yeah, I, in the I did play tests for them, but yeah. yeah. Uh, my first character death happened during uh, Lair Assault, like the first time I had one of my characters die. And then the first time I ever killed a character also happened in Lair Assault, and that was a lot of fun. <laughs> See? But the, the cool thing about that is that's, everybody comes with that expectation, right? Yep. You don't come with the expectation that your character is going to, you know, going to progress and grow and be, you know, and become a, become a different character than what it once was. And you're going you're gonna to take part in a collaborative storytelling experience, which, by the way, even though it sounds like I'm being facetious there, I actually really love that stuff. It's just that that has no place in D.D. Larissa. Yeah. <laughs> These layers are all about the SmackDown, right? It's and it's great it's a great way to kind of blow off steam too and, and just have fun and and do something a little bit different. And they could be really challenging. I mean, I don't yeah. know I think they're I, but I think they're awesome. I mean I, I really like the idea of that that's a that's a way to play D and D that, you know, some people are really gonna enjoy and other people won't. And that's totally okay too. Yeah, and yeah. let let you think about even the fourth edition stuff slightly differently. I mean with with my group, we went I think four rounds before I started doing coup de gras because I didn't I didn't want to kill them right away because they, right. they weren't used to the style of play yet. So I was like, okay, I'll let you go for a little while. And then they were just letting themselves get knocked down unconscious, and I was like, well, coup de gras time now. Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> you don't you don't pull any punches in my lyrical. <laughs> right. Although you know the last group I ran through there, so I ran through Talon and Umberly here at work and. Man, they they totally punked me, and I was like kind of pissed. <laughs> I really wanted to like you know cut into some fools, and I didn't. So. Well, aren't the delves at uh, is that the right word at at a lot of the conventions also kind of like that? The delves tend to be a little bit less uh, cutthroat than uh, than Dini Larisol. Now, at first, when we first launched the delves years ago. Um, they were more they were more deadly. Um, over the years, um, sort of one of my things, my points of guidance uh, when we've been kind of creating the delves is to kind of make them a little bit more casual friendly. 
Uh, because they wound up being just such a popular sort of thing for people to just kind of sit at for an hour and play. Right. I wanted them to kind of be feel a little bit more, you know, like let's go a little easier on people because, you know, we found a lot of families and kids playing. And I don't really want to, like, kill some kid's character just because, you know, you, you, couldn't, you, you couldn't roll a nat 20 to get across the bridge. So, so those wound up being a little bit uh, more casual friendly now. I mean, we had uh, the Ultimate Bell, which was kind of a design to sort of um, push that, like, really competitive and, like, hyper-optimized, you know, group of people uh, into something that they would, they would find challenging, and that worked out really well. And that was actually sort of the prototype for D&D Larisol. Right. So we took that and we made that D&D Larisol. So now at the, at the convention circuit, we usually have the Dells, which are relatively casual. Um, they, they still have some pretty hard encounters occasionally in there. And then, um, and then usually, like, if we want to go with something really challenging, we kind of put that into uh, uh, the D&D Championship at Gen Con every year now. Right. So we kind of morphed the Ultimate Dells uh, into D&D Lair Assault and then took the core of the Ultimate Dells for conventions <laughs> and put it in the D&D Championship. So the D&D Championship actually feels a lot like the Ultimate Dell felt. And, and that's actually, that was very intentional, and that's been very, very good for us for the last, like, two years. last couple of years we've run it that way, and it's been awesome. So. Right. So we have a bunch of these uh, programs that are basically run and designed by Wizards of the Coast, and then there's a community-run, the Living Campaigns, right? Yep. Living Forgotten Realms, Ashes of Atlas, Living Divine. Are there, is there any that I'm missing? Those are the big three, I think, right now. Okay. Um, I mean, certainly there are a lot of things that are that that are running, you know, like more regionally or locally that I may not be even aware of, um, okay. or that you know. That might just have you know a pretty small following as well, but um, but those are sort of the big ones right now. I mean, over the history of of uh, the you know organized play in D and D, there's been a lot of them. Um, you know, the first living campaign was Living City, started back in in, in the uh, in the late '80s, '87, I believe, um, at Gen Con that year, and you know, and then a- after Living City sort of took off, um, then you know a lot of these other living campaigns sort of propagated throughout the '90s and 2000s. Um, one, that was actually one of the major changes in, the, in, in organized play was moving from a tournament atmosphere, which is what or, early organized play was dominated by that. Like you go to a place like Origins, for example, or Gen Con, and you'd play in a tournament. Like uh, a lot of the old uh, first edition uh, adventure modules, um, especially the C series, those all were tournament adventures. Okay. They were all first run at, at shows as part of organized play. And... You know, so like an adventure like uh, Hidden Shrine of Tamoachan, right, was a tournament, tournament adventure. You get pre-gen characters and you play through it and you try to be the group that succeeds in the tournament. Right. Well, after a little while, um, you know, with Living City, um, they decided to do something where it's like, oh, maybe you can just make your own character. And it's just more about sort of emulating sort of a home play experience, but, but on a, you know, a massive scale. And that became sort of the the new way to play in the late '80s and early '90s, and and uh, and that really took off, and that sort of became the default sort of uh, organized play experience then that we see today. Okay. Uh, we still see tournaments like D&D Championship, uh, and that still has a small um, but important uh, part in the history of organized play uh, and the current, you know. Uh, offerings of organized play, but but yeah, it's uh, less and less a, a main part of the the uh, the organized play uh, 
um, right. experience. So probably a strange question, but the the tournament beginnings is that is that where a lot of the uh, all the having judges instead of DMs came from, and then having and then trying to enforce all the rules in the same way. Yeah, uh, a lot of that comes from tournament play. Um, okay. Most of the things that you see right now that seem that seem like they might be rigid or something, or at least you perceive them as being rigid, probably have their beginnings in tournament play. Okay. Um, and you know that was intentional, right? At the time, uh, you know it was you know there were there were rules called that 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 were made, and and there would have to be a structure because there would be winners, and there'd be right. there'd be people that you know. So, and if you're giving out prizes and you have winners, you have to have you you have to have a very um, you know a very uh, rigid sort of structure in place for that. As uh, things have evolved over the years, things have gotten a lot more loose as far as uh, that's concerned. Um, we've moved more and more away from the DM as a judge mm-hmm. and and more towards the DM as a facilitator for everybody's enjoyment of the game at the table. Right. So, and and I think that's you know paid off a lot, and I think it's also made it it's a little bit less of a barrier for for people to participate in organized play when they know the DM is really there to kind of help facilitate the fun rather than you know necessarily kill your characters. Right. Well, and particularly where in a living campaign, you may have a character for years. Yes. So, so you might not want yeah. your your. Well, yeah, you have that a lot. You know, like I, I remember a lot of times in you know third edition, second edition, third edition, uh, uh, where we played in the living campaign and put our character to the table, and it would be like, okay, my character does these things. I want to know as a DM, how are you going to adjudicate this stuff before we actually sit down to play? Right. Because I don't want my character to get in the middle of a fight and then think I can do, you know, I can use this this ability this way, and then the DM says no, when right. you know it could mean my character's life or death. And like you said, you know, I've been playing this character for you know six years, and right, and you know, and I don't want my character to die. So. you does not deserve to die this way. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, maybe not me. Like you know, and again, I just like you know, cutting into fools. So. <laughs> But no, I don't. I really, I, I, I I'm actually, uh, I'm actually pretty, pretty. Overall, I'm, I'm a much more lenient DM and a much more ruthless writer. So yeah, uh, it, it, it's you know, I, I got agree. more, I got more complaints about what happened to people at tables that I wasn't DMing that were playing the adventure I wrote than right. than, than people at my table, you know, when I was running the adventure I wrote. But that's you know. That happens. <laughs> Besides, you like acting out all of the uh, the monster deaths, the NPC deaths on when the PCs I do. Kill. Um, I, I, I do, um, especially when it involves a group of uh, players either I don't know or that seem to contain like you know some uh, some newer folks in it, in the group. Um, I really think of dungeon mastering in public as more of a performance art, mm-hmm. and and less of a. Um, and, and, and less of a uh, sort of a task or or, or, or what have you. It, it's so I, I tend to think of it, you know, like it's more like you're sprinting rather than going for a marathon when you're running at a show. Right. Um, because you only have one, you only have one chance to make a first impression on these people, you know. And every time you run the game, if you're running the same adventure, you know, four times, five times, six times, right? It's New to them every time, so yeah. you can use the same stuff over and over and over again. You can use the same material, 
and you can, you know, you always want to go for it all the time, right? You want to be on all the time, mm -hmm. and uh, and so that's, and so I think that's really important when you're when you're DMing in public, which is different than when you're DMing with with the same group of people week in and week out. When you're DMing with the same group of people week in and week out, you you fall into sort of a natural rhythm uh, with the group um, after a while, where you all understand each other because you you know the characters and you know the you know the players that are going to be playing your game, mm -hmm. and you can kind of uh, push some of that stuff to the side and kind of just rely on sort of the comfort of your interactions with your group, rather than having to you know necessarily wild them every time you say something. So. Cool. So. Uh... Our friend Teos asked me to ask this question. Oh, he wants that Teos. To... I shake my virtual fist at him. He wants to know, <laughs> what are Tulok's four keys to a successful organized play program? My four keys? Yeah. <laughs> Does that be four? I... Can it hey, be just a skeleton key that does unlock them all? No. Uh, um... I guess I'm the DM here, so uh, if you if you want to sell me on something. <laughs> I... Well, I would say, well, I, I guess it depends. So it depends on what you want, but uh, let, let's assume that you're, in, you're, that you're someone that wants to create your own organized play campaign. Right? Okay. And if you want to create your own organized play campaign, I would say, you know, my suggestions would be, let's see. First of all, know who you're, you're making your organized play campaign for. Right, you know, know your audience, right? So, you know, who is, you know, who are the people that you want to be playing your organized play campaign? Are they going to be, you know, really heavily into the the world? Are they going to be really into tactics? Are they going to be, you know, really into uh, like a like more of a live action type of experience, or, or like really getting into character? You know, so. Knowing that audience is really is really key. Um, so that's one of the first things is you know saying, oh, you know, I'm going to run a campaign that's set in this world, and these are the types of people I want to attract to that game. Mm -hmm. um, so that's the first thing I think. Uh, another thing too is uh, don't overreach. So know your limitations, um, and you know build you know build something small. Start out small, and then and then build from there. Everybody, everybody, right, all of us as DMs, right, have all, always have grand designs. When you run an organized play campaign, it's sort of like you're being you're being DM for a large group of people, right? <laughs> um, and it's easy for us as DMs to, you know, to want to world build and want to create all this intricate stuff, right? And you kind of have to scale that back a bit, and just start out with something small and build on that. Mm -hmm. So I'd say that's sort of the second thing, right, is know your limitations and don't try to overreach. Um, let it grow, you know, sort of organically. And then um, the third thing, I think, for building a successful organized play campaign um, is establishing a structure for your organized play campaign early. Um, and trying to work within that structure, make that structure permissive enough for you to do what you want to accomplish with your game. Um, don't make it too rigid, but at the same time, you can't just say, do anything you want. 
one thing that's really interesting is that when you say do anything you want, um, people tend to lose interest in that because it's not without structure. It, it, it loses some of its. It loses uh, uh, a, a degree of its sort of officialness or its uh, validity. Um, it doesn't feel as. It, it doesn't feel as. Um, it just doesn't feel as important. Right. Um, as you know, whatever else you could be doing. So it's nice to have a structure. It really is because it also kind of helps to frame people's conversations within the context of the organized play campaign. So have a structure, stay within the structure, um, and keep it flexible enough that you can make change. We've, you know, I've learned over the years that you know, with it, when a structure is, is a little too inflexible um, and you make a change, it really can cause a lot of pain within that structure, within the people, you know, the people that are playing in the, in, in the organized play campaign. So you want to you know, have some flexibility you know, to adapt to, to changes. Um, and then I think the last thing, really, honestly, if you're doing an organized play campaign, is you know what? Have a goal in mind and have an endpoint, and decide to, you know decide that you're going to you know actually end it after a certain period of time, right? And that doesn't necessarily mean that you won't do another organized play campaign, and it doesn't even necessarily mean that you won't do another organized play campaign set within the same world. What it means is simply you know provide some sort of you know some sort of goal that people can work toward. So, for example, um, with uh, with Living Forgotten Realms, uh, they were working in they're working in uh, uh, story arcs that last for a certain period of time, right? So you so you can play in like a story arc that lasts for like a couple of years or three years or what have you, and then you kind of feel like there's sort of a natural kind of conclusion to your character cycle. You can work toward a goal mm -hmm. and feel like you can actually complete that goal. Um, and in the past, we've struggled with that a little bit because. When we had programs um, that didn't really have that, that that expectation, like let's say Living City, for example, um, you know, where it just kind of goes, it goes on and on, which is great. It it also kind of creates this, uh, it creates a, a sort of tough jumping on points for the campaign, and it also um, it also makes it so that you kind of create an unrealistic expectation with your players, you know. The expectation, you know, with a program that doesn't really have an end is that it will go on forever. Well, it won't really go on forever, you know. You're gonna, you know, you and and that plays to it too. You're you're going to, you know, after a while, you're going to have fatigue, you know, in your volunteers. It's just right. going to happen. People always want to try new things, right? Uh, they want to go to something new and shiny, or they may, may just want to, you know, get out of doing whatever they're doing right now because they just don't have the resources available anymore to do it. Right. So, you know. And so knowing, you know, setting that, setting, knowing your limitations, setting those endpoints was a really, it's really important, really, really important for organized play. I, and I, I think that in any future programs that we might develop, you know, we would look at that, those kinds of things as well. d and Encounters does that. I mean, that's why we cycle things every few months, right? We know that people, you know, they, they need to have that change and they need to have jumping on points. And so, you know, that's really important to us. Right on. Yeah. I think so, that was a four. Did I get, did I get four? I think I got four. Yeah, four. That, that is four. I took notes, and I did it in such a way that they actually start with K-E-Y-S. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So take that. See, see I, I'm good like that. I can set them up and you knock them down. <laughs> That's right. 
so okay, I've I've been imagine I've been listening to this for for forty. Uh, I, I have been listening to this, um, <laughs> but imagine I'm an, I'm part of the audience, right? I've been listening to this episode for forty five minutes or so now. Um, I'm I, I've heard all about the different organized play programs and what have you. Um, I'm interested. I want to yes. go out. I want to go out and play, but uh, you know I. I I'm a little nervous about playing with a yes, bunch of strangers. Of I don't know what to bring, and I don't even know which program to go to. There's all these different awesome. organized play programs. What do I do? All right. So your first thing you should do is um, you should, if you're interested in organized play, um, you should uh, go to our wizard, go to the wizard's website. Assuming you're interested in D&D organized play, of course, go to the wizard's website, and um, we have um, a cool store locator tool. Um, that will find you a local game store that's near you. You can even filter it uh, by the different programs. So if you go to the store locator and just type in your, your, uh, your zip code or what have you or your address, um, it'll find a list of uh, Wizards Play Network stores that are running different D&D programs. Um, I would start, if you're a D&D 4th edition player right now, I would start by playing uh, D&D Encounters. Um, that'll give you a good feel for sort of what organized play is all about in a store. And a store is a nice sort of um, first step away from the home, right? You play at home and you're pretty comfortable with your buddies and you love doing that and that's great. Um, but the store is sort of the next place you go because for a lot of people, right, they go to their store, they visit maybe once a month, maybe once every other month or whatever, pick up some stuff. So you probably, you know, know some people that work there or at least it's kind of close by. And, you know, you won't feel like you necessarily have to, you know, put a lot of time or effort into it uh, at first. So, if you, you know, you can kind of get your feet wet. I would start with the store, go to the locator, um, try D&D Encounters. It's a good starting point. Um, you know, they've, the, you won't need to bring much for your first session. Um, I would try that and see, and see if that works for you. As far as what to bring, um, it's very, very basic, really. Um, if you're starting out with any DD program, and I'll tell you right now that almost all of our programs have like outs for people that don't have a character prepared. I mean, if you don't have a character prepared, no big deal. People will give you something to, to use for the first session. But um, bring paper, bring pencil, bring bring dice. You know, and if you do if you do a little bit of research um, beforehand, bring your character. Um, DD encounters, for example. Characters always start at first level, you know, throughout all the seasons, pretty much. And uh, so you can bring up a new first level character to D&D Encounters and be good to go there. Um, you can check our website. Um, every time we do it, we have a D&D Encounters page and a D&D Larisol page. And all the character creation rules are posted on there. And they're not very complicated. They're pretty, they're pretty basic. Um, but you can take a look at that. If you're looking at, like, one of the community-run programs, um, they're great. Um, they all have their own websites. Um, they're very easy to find. Um, you can uh, access a lot of them by just, you know, typing it, doing a Google search, um, like Ashes of Athens or Living Divine or Living Forgotten Realms. Um, Living Forgotten Realms actually has some of their information posted on the Wizard site. Mm-hmm. Very easy to find. You can just uh, go up to the, if you go to wizards.com slash D&D, you can find all of our programs under the Events tab. And you'll see D&D encounters, D&D Larisol, you know, conventions, Living Forgotten Realms, all kinds of good stuff. I would recommend starting in the store um, because it's, again, local. It's easy to get to usually, um, and it's there. 
Um, then, you know, the next step is sort of conventions. If you if you really dig sort of that atmosphere, conventions are a great place to kind of really connect with a larger community. But yeah, that's, you know, that's sort of the basics and like what you need to do. I, I wouldn't, I would also say that don't be too, you know, people get really nervous about gaming in public with, uh, with people they don't know. Um, and remember that all those people that are there were in the same place as you are now. So don't worry too much about people. Are, D&D players in general and role-playing gamers in general are pretty friendly people overall because they're really excited to have new people come in and play their hobby with them. So, I mean, for the most part, you're probably going to get a lot of help anyway uh, when you start. And the last thing I'd like to say about the whole organized play and kind of like why I should do it is, honestly, I think it's just awesome for your development as a role-playing gamer. If you're a role-playing gamer and you're playing with the same group of people over and over again, that's great and it's really fun. But at the same time, it, it really helps to sort of develop your, um, your, your uh, skill as a role-player and, and you're kind of, you know, you get a lot more experiences and, and, and you learn a lot more about the game and about the way people play the game. So if you're really interested in that kind of stuff, uh, going out in public and playing with lots of different people will, will give you a lot more uh, experience in that than playing with the same people over and over again. Yep. And I, I definitely uh, felt that in my experiences playing uh, at conventions and other organized play experiences. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and yeah. I also... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. What were you saying, Tracy? I was gonna, just going to mention real quick. I ha- One of my joining the party articles was finding a group, and it has a lot of the links in there. So Oh, we'll, yeah. That's great. Yeah, yeah. We'll, there's some really great resources out there. Tracy's written about them for, for with joining the party, I, I, and I know that there's. Um, I don't know what I, I didn't. I don't know if I saw that one, so I don't know if I know what links you gave. But I mean, good good places to go to find gamers that like to game in public. Uh, meetup Meetup.com. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of there's a lot of D and D meetup uh, groups that have been established for different cities. Um, you know, they're they're awesome. I mean, I'm part of the Seattle D and D meetup group, and they're really cool. Yeah, I, and, I found um, I found my last two in home gaming groups um, through Meetup. Yeah, Meetup's a great tool. It's great for anybody that's sharing any kind of interest, right? It's like it's so cool. So I, I really like Meetup. Um, there's a there's a really good site called PenandPaperGames.com as well that I found, which is a great sort of gamer matchmaking site, um, and it's really detailed too. I mean, you can really kind of drill down into like exactly what you like and don't like in, in gamers, <laughs> and 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 it will find uh, it will find the games that are most appropriate to you. So those are those are some good resources. Obsidian Portal, of course, is another good place to go, um, especially to get ideas and also connect with some gamers there too. And, you know, even like the Wizards community forums, uh, community boards are a really good place to to find some people that uh, might be in your area or, or to at least get information and, and, and good direction. So. Yeah. And I know, like, if you're at a convention, even the Penny Arcade, Arcade Expo, the PAX East and Prime have usually have learned to play sessions and stuff like that, too. And I happen to often run them. Uh, so. That's right. Tracy is the mistress of learn to play. I, I love learn to play. And you don't even need dice. I make sure I bring enough dice for everyone yeah. at the table. So all of our good learn to play like, judges do that. Like crazy. Yeah. <laughs> so, but yeah, no, it's yeah, we do we do learn to play at most of the major shows that, that Wizards has Wizard supports directly. So so the taxes, um, as Tracy mentioned. Um, we also um, do learn to plays at C two E two, um, uh, New York Comic Con, um, and uh, Gen Con as well. So 
and I think even I think even Dave runs some at Origins too. So um, so yeah, learn to play is our, our big thing, and we can teach you if you're at a con and you want to learn how to play D and D, we can teach you how to play probably in like two hours. Yeah. Low impact D and D. So let's 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 go into imagination land again here. Um, I, I've started playing or some organized play program. Maybe I start with encounters and then I get an interest and I start doing some LFR or, or some other living yeah. thing, right? And I'm building characters and I'm, I'm role-playing more and I'm doing all that. And I think, you know, maybe I should give back. We need some more DMs. Now I'm going to run a, run some organized play yeah. games. Um, but you again... Like <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. uh, but... You know, again, there's that nervousness of, you know, yeah. am I, I going to do my goofy voices in front of all these strangers? And yeah. how much do I stick to the script or make sure I use the rules as written? How much can I sort of go off that and use my my DMly judgment? Um, you know, uh, just how do you how do you get involved into all that? Well, uh, the the easiest way to do that um, usually is again at the store level, right? Um, if you're doing something in store, so if you're doing something in store, right? It's just talking to whoever the organizer is and kind of just jumping into the DM seat. Um, I think that can also be the um, the one that's a little bit that's a little bit um, uh, sort of uh, I don't know it's just less intimidating I guess um, than 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 DMing at a con because you generally know if you've been playing your store you generally know the the group of people that are in the store so um, it's kind of like almost like an extended home group in a lot of ways um, so that can be pretty easy to do um, as far as uh, you know like you know, the intimidation factor of dungeon mastering for a bunch of people. Um, keep in mind, really, your your main job, right, when you're, is facilitating fun. And if that's your main job, and people if people are just having a good time playing at your game, then, um, then knowing, like, all the rules or being always right or whatever isn't necessarily, you know, something you should need even work toward, right? It's just, you know, th- those are things that, you know, will come in time, and and you will make mistakes if you're if you're a new DM, and that's okay, right? And people are okay with that, and you don't have to feel like you always have to like they're judging you, right? They're not judging you, right? They're you're you're part of a group, you're having a good time, you're telling you're you're telling a shared story, you're there as a guide, right? You're just the guide that's helping them through their 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 play experience, and I think if you think of it more like that, it becomes a little easier to deal with. You know, if you have a friend that's, you know, a player with you that, that knows the rules, um, they can kind of serve as sort of your rules buddy or, or what have you and, and kind of help you out, be, be like a little bit of an assistant. Um, that works out pretty well. Um, I think that people tend to um, really believe that DMing is very difficult and that it's something that they just can't do because they don't, they feel like they're on stage. And I think that, you know, for some people, right, that's the way they like to DM, right? Like I like to DM, you know, like it's performance art. But for a lot of other people, that that's okay. They don't they don't need to do that because really all the group's looking for is a guide, and looking for somebody to facilitate their fun. And they can, you know, there are so many groups that can just kind of make their own fun once you kind of give them a direction. Well, they totally can. Right. <laughs> I mean, well, and, and sometimes I'll tell you right now. Sometimes it's easier to be a DM at a table than it is to be a player, because really, you know, like you get a group of people that are like crazy into like their characters, and all they want to do is kind of like role play with each other. All you do is just like occasionally throw out something in front of them. Here's a here's a manipulative. Go nuts. 
right? <laughs> and then they go nuts, right? And they're nuts for an hour or two, and then you're just kind of sitting back watching them go nuts. Yeah. You know? Well, and, so. like, at conventions, a lot of times, it's groups that sit down together, so they know each other, and they're just there to have fun and right. and, and play in a game. Yep. And they're happy that you're running for them because otherwise oh. they wouldn't be able to play. Yes, that's the thing. I mean, you know, they're just happy there's a DM, right? I mean, the thing is, you know, DMs are DMs are very much in demand, right? Everybody yep. wants to play, and only a certain number of people want a DM. But I will tell you that DMing, and I'm sure both of you could, could say the same thing, DMing is incredibly rewarding. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think it's much it, – it's a, there's a much – uh, deeper sense of connection with the game that you get when you dungeon master than you'd ever get as a player, and and just being able to, you know, have the again going back to what I said very early, having the immediate gratification of provide you know like helping to provide people with a, with entertainment right mm-hmm. is is great right it just feels great and it, you get to you know stretch your creative muscles too and do and do some really fun things. I, I, yeah, DMing is you, you will you will get back you will get back a lot from DMing for what you put into DMing. So mm-hmm. yeah. it, it's just so it's just so much fun. And I mean, I've been DMing since I was ten. I mean, I, yeah. I was just my first DM, and I I love it, and I prefer DMing to playing. Yeah. Now you you mentioned that eventually you'll you know if you're a new DM and you're starting to do this you'll learn the rules right. Mm-hmm. What if I know the rules and I yeah. still want to make a different call? Or what if I know the module that that we're running and I want to mm-hmm. I want to run it a little bit different? Right? Is that okay? Yeah. Or is there sort of an expectation? It's organized play. You're going to run it. The rules as written. No, um, there's there's a lot less. So really, it, it depends on what you know. It's called context, right? It depends on what organized play. Uh, adventure you're doing and what you're, you know, what you're doing with it. So in general, um, most of the programs that we run are pretty loose with that, and that's not as big of a deal, right? If you, if you want to change stuff, go ahead and change stuff. You know, make it so that your group is having a good time, right? Um, you know, don't, don't, you don't have to stick to something uh, just because it's there. Um, you know, change it to make it to make it your own. Um, if you don't like the way it works, you know, make it work a different way. And if you think that people aren't having fun with what's going on, you know, modify it so that people are having fun again. Um, I, I think that's in general, that's the case. I mean, there are some exceptions, um, something like a D&D championship, right, where, where we do require a lot more structure because there, there are prizes on the line and there are winners. But for the most part, you know, Everybody's a winner at D and D, right? I mean, we're all, <laughs> you know, we're we're all winning, right? You know, we're, we're all drinking tiger blood, so you know. <laughs> and but, it uh, was advanced. Yeah, it was advanced, right? Indeed. So you know, it, so I think you know the, yeah, the fact that we're you know, that we focus so much on like you know the DM is the final rules authority, and you know you have to do this. Don't feel constrained by that stuff, right? I mean, your your number one goal is to facilitate fun at the table, and so you can throw a lot of other things out the window in in, in you know in light of that, right? Sac- you can sacrifice all kinds of things on the altar of fun if you want to, right? You know, it's like, hey, you know, we need to have fun, so let's do this instead. You know, that's totally okay. So I w- yeah, I mean, I, I I certainly you know know a lot of people that struggle with that 
and um, and in the past our structure has sort of has sort of lent itself more towards you know the DM as the rules arbiter, and to a degree that's fine, right? I mean I think that certain games certain certain styles of play um, lend themselves more to the DM as a rules arbiter than other ones, but I think that that's never like the ultimate expression of the game. I think the ultimate expression of the game is, you know, the DM is a guide, you know, and you're, you're in a cooperative storytelling mm-hmm. experience. Right. So, so anybody out there who's running or DMing an organized play program for Wizards who comes into those players who, who get uh, uptight about not running yeah. things as written, this is you giving them official permission to, to go off the rails. Yeah, I mean, you know, there, there, is, there, there is a difference between between um, DMing a game where where people are like, "What the hell is going on here?" and DMing a game where people are having a great time because you just you know you you took it in a different direction. Um, and I think that as long as your players are having a good time at the table, and as long as you as a DM, which by the way is very important, are also having a good time at the table, um, then um, I think it's fine, right? I mean, I think that that's that's great, and that's what we want. Um, you know, if you know, you find that you know what you're doing isn't you know really kind of sticking with the players, and they're you know they're not they're uncomfortable, or they're not having a good time, or something, you know, or there's some tension, then you might need to adjust and change. I've been at tables before where where DMs have basically thrown away the adventure, right, and and ran a fantastic version of whatever adventure they had. And I've also been at tables where DMs have tried to do that and it's crashed and burned, right? And it, it really, you know, it, it really depends on, you know, you kind of have to, you kind of have to develop some skills that, you know, sort of reading your table or at the very least, you know, ask people, are you guys having fun right now? You know, because if you're not, we can go ahead and change some things, you know. and. So don't don't be afraid to do that. I guess you know change things when you need to. Keep things you know steady if you don't. You know, and yeah, I, I yeah. If you want to go off the rails, go off the rails and do something fun. Right on. Any uh, last questions, Tracy? I think that's pretty much it. Any last bits of advice you might have for people, Chris? No, I mean I'd love to see each and every person that listens to this uh, participate. You know, at a show. And say hi, or um, or go to D and D encounters their store. Maybe maybe I'll show up there. Who knows, right? But yeah, <laughs> no, I really would love love to have everybody try out organized play if they haven't, um, and really give it a shot. Um, and let us know what you want, right? I mean, you know, there are, there are easy ways to get a hold of us and um, and give us feedback, right? We we put out surveys very uh, relatively often. Um, on our different programs, uh, take part in those surveys, um, post in, you know, on our community boards and let us know what you want, what you think. Uh, you get, like I said, you can get a hold of me, uh, but through Twitter is probably the, probably the best way to kind of like bounce a question over to me. Um, and, you know, just, you know, keep in touch with us and, and, and look, you know, look out for more things from organized play in the future. Right on. Well, thanks for coming on, Chris. Yeah. Thanks for having me guys. I really appreciate it. So we'd like to to thank both Chris for coming on the show and GameRadi.com, our sponsor. And if you want to get a hold of the show, you can email us at thetomeshow at gmail.com. 
And just so people understand when they do email, and we have been getting some, um, I'm the one that actually checks that email, and then I forward on the information to, to Tracy. Um, I've been using that email when I solo for so many years that I have some personal things associated with that address too. But um, but I always make sure to forward on uh, messages and things to Tracy and anybody, any of the other guests on, on our various shows now. You can also call in to the biz line at 919-BIZ-TOME. That's 919-B-I-Z-T-O-M-E. That's 919. Swing by the forums over at gamershavenpodcast.com. And read the show notes at thetomeshow.com, which I think the show notes for this episode are going to be rather long. He gave us a lot of resources, although I'm told I should just link to Tracy's uh, article, and it has all the same links on there because Tracy's article is very thorough and complete. It's pretty thorough and complete. That's that's what I hear on the on the grapevine. I I don't know who told me that, but and I, and there's a place to leave comments there. So if there's anything that you need help on, you can always uh, leave a comment there or contact me, and I'll try to figure it up for you. Right on. Cool. And that, my friends, is episode 192, where we gathered around the table with a group of strangers and came together to kick some serious butt in this episode of. I'm off the wall.